The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. With the 2018 NFL Draft here, fantasy football season has begun. And if you love fantasy football like I do, then you need to try the new best ball leagues on my new favorite app, Draft. You can now pick your favorite new rookies such as Saquon Barkley, Baker Mayfield, Josh Rosen, and so many more. And you get to do it for the first time and before anybody else. Here's how they work. You know, you, you, you set your teams, you make your drafts. You know, for the best ball leagues, there's 8-man, 10-man, 12-man, and more. You draft and you walk away. It's a great, great system. They pick the best scores for you, and that's just a great way it works. It's season long, but with no management. Just set it and forget it. Once you're done drafting, that's it. No trades, no waiver wire. You don't even have to set your lineup. Your best players get automatically selected, and you'll get the best scores every week. And you never have to worry about injuries again. You can draft anytime you want. Leagues start every couple minutes, so you can join one right now. And the best part, play for cold, hard cash. Leagues start from just $3. They go $3, $5, $10, $25, $50, so on and so forth. Tons to choose from. And you can play them by coming to Draft and joining me today. You can download the app anytime you want. Just search Draft in your app store and join me and play a game in minutes. Or play right now from your computer on Draft.com. Whichever you prefer. Draft on your app or on the computer. Whatever you prefer. For a limited time only, all new players get a free entry into a best ball draft when you make your first deposit, but you have to use the promo code SD Sports. That's right, play a real money game for free just for using the promo code SD Sports on your first deposit on draft. Let me know. Send me a DM, a picture that you signed up with draft and you want, uh, use promo code SD Sports, and they will get you into a free best ball draft. Just search draft in the app store or go to draft.com and play for free with the promo code SD Sports. Now to this week's edition of Bench with Bubba. back everybody to another episode of bench with bubba episode 89 taking a little break from the baseball landslide that we've been on and we're talking nfl draft and in order to do so i have a very special guest who's been going just crazy deep into draft coverage for the last couple months 
You can find him on Twitter at Elliot Chris. He has the draft daily pod four for four football power hour DFS. That's where I got to start to know him last year. Elliot, how you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. We're five days away. I just tweeted this out, but uh, I think these five days are going to basically feel like a, a treadmill minute and a microwave minute had a baby. And that's, that's the amount of time that this takes. Cause you know, I, I keep looking up and I'm like, it's gotta be next Thursday already. And then only an hour has passed. Oh yeah, no, it's going to be the longest week of your life because every <laughs> question is going to be asked a thousand times and the answer is never going to be the right one to the right person. So it's going to be a lot of fun because, you know, the crystal ball theory is just, it's impossible. I think you had a guy, I forgot, I totally forget his name. You had him on one of your recent pods. He was, he, he won the most accurate mock draft last year, but in reality he picked nine picks correctly. That's how crazy it's going to be regardless of what you guys do. Yeah, the difference between the most accurate mock and the the least accurate mock is like three picks, two picks. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, there was one one year where I I got three players right, um, but their draft slots wrong because teams traded up for them, and you know I don't get any points for that. So it's yeah. it gets really hard to to be an accurate mock drafter. Yeah. So what we're gonna do today is we're gonna kind of go, you know, all the skilled positions. That's the ones everybody loves, and we're gonna kind of put a the real life NFL twist on it with the, maybe a little fancy depending on the player involved. And then we're going to, well, we will not ignore the O lines and the defense because from an NFL perspective, that's tremendously important, obviously. And we'll talk about a, a couple of teams and uh, what they're looking to do in the draft and then kind of your top 10 and we'll, we'll take it home. But in doing so, we should cover quite a bit. And if for some reason you've been living up under a rock and haven't paid attention, this will be a decent little cliff notes for you to get ready for this Thursday night in Dallas, Texas, in Jerry's world, which will be pretty interesting in itself. Um, let's get started by those position by position. We'll start at the quarterback, and, you know, most people have roughly the same top five, but they definitely vary depending on where you go. So how do you rank your top five quarterbacks coming into the draft? So from an NFL perspective, my top quarterbacks in the draft are Baker Mayfield is one, um, Josh Rosen is two, Sam Darnold is three, Lamar Jackson is four, and Mason Rudolph is five. Kyle Laletta is six, and the guy you've been waiting for me to say, Josh Allen, is actually seventh. So let me do a quick breakdown of a couple of these guys, and then I, I want to throw in a note when I get to Lamar Jackson in terms of fantasy perspective. Baker Mayfield is the most accurate quarterback in the draft. He has, if you look at his production metrics, they're off the charts. They're basically whatever he did, he, he did better than every other quarterback combined. Like if you combine uh, best people under the pressure, best people kind of from a clean pocket, most accurate throw. Like if you take everybody's stuff, Baker Mayfield still beats them. Now he, he's an inch or two shorter than you'd like, but that's not really a huge concern for me. He threw over a massive offensive line at Oklahoma. Everyone was over six foot four. Uh, Orlando Brown is six foot eight and like 400 pounds. I mean, and he had a lower batted pass percentage than both Josh Allen and Sam Darnold. So I, to me, the height thing is overblown. Accuracy to every level, touch, uh, velocity, anticipation, the ability to throw in tight windows. He, I think he really has done everything. And the only real concerns are with him are the off the field stuff and the bravado stuff doesn't bother me that much. It's, people compare him to Johnny Manziel. I think it's more lazy than what it actually is. You know, he's not doing cocaine and hitting women. He got too drunk one time and tried to run away. I mean, <laughs> that's dumb. But it's I, to me, it's not the end all be all. I mean, I I know he's grabbed himself. I know he, one time Kansas State's uh, players ran in his uh, line, so he hit one of them in the face with the football. Like, he does little dumb things, but at the end of the day, I think he's just a giant competitor that's incredibly accurate and has the mental makeup 
of someone that I'm looking for. I mean, one thing I always thought about is how do you handle adversity? And whether it's on the football, Baker field, uh, Baker Mayfield, you know, is, is the best quarterback trailing by one to seven points with a 142 NFL rating, 25 touchdowns, two interceptions with a 70% completion percentage. I mean, that, that's a nut stat right there. And then you add in the fact that this guy walked onto two separate programs, Texas Tech and Oklahoma, and became the starting quarterback the first year he was there. Like, against big-time recruits, he's like, no, this is my team. I don't even care. And he won the walk-on trophy twice. I, uh, sorry, walk-on of the year award twice. I mean, that's I don't even know if that's ever been done before. That's pretty absurd. And then you go to Josh Rosen, and Rosen's got everything mechanically that you'd look for. Incredibly accurate. Works that middle of the field very well. Goes through his progressions. He can get locked down on his first read too much. He can struggle under pressure too much. And, you know, Matt Waldman told me this three months ago, and I've just been quoting him every time because it's better than I can describe it. If Josh Rosen was a boxer, he'd be like Floyd Mayweather, where he's basically a technician. You know, it's it's all technical, and if 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 he does that, he wins. But he likes to brawl. He he gets in these game situations where he feels like he needs to make a big play, he needs to force a big play, and something bad happens. So as long as he remains a technician, he's good. But just like if Floyd Mayweather started to try to brawl with guys, he'd get knocked out every once in a while, and that happens to Josh Rosen. So he needs to improve in that area. With Sam Darnold... Darnold, for me, is Aaron Rodgers meets Blake Bortles. That's not a spectrum comparison. It's kind of the the ups and downs of his game, where at times he just he makes throws that are unbelievable, especially on the run, accurate to all levels. Um, but he's he's got some mechanical issues like Blake Bortles did with both the footwork and the long looping motion. And on top of that, you know, he's he's got occasional accuracy because his accuracy issues because of his mechanics. Well, he'll step away from his desired target point, and the ball can sail on him. And, and that, again, goes back to the mechanics. And then he, he gets locked in with his first read. It reminds me some of Deshaun Watson. And everybody knows I'm a huge Deshaun Watson guy. They're very good pre-snap, right? They, they trust what they read pre-snap. Everyone complains about, oh, he just throws to his first read. That's not a bad thing if your first read is open. I mean, the ability to mentally prepare for the play and know where you should go with the football. And if it, if it opens up, you go there. And that, that's fantastic. You know, ability to work through all that stuff very quickly. Now, Darnold does that, and like Watson, will trust his eyes and he, and trust his decision pre-snap where he forces throws and it gets him into some trouble. He really struggled weeks like four through seven this season, but bounced back pretty strongly. So I'm a big Darnold guy. It, these are actually my top three players overall on my board. Now, Quentin Nelson and Saquon Barkley are probably better pure players, but when you add in positional value, which I think is always really important to do, they're going to be the top three guys on my board. Um, Lamar Jackson, I'm a big Lamar Jackson guy. I, I think he's basically – he's the first guy that's ever been able to be compared to Mike Vick. You know, every year it's the next black quarterback is Mike Vick. And, you know, this this is the first uh, player that has Vick's speed and elusiveness and, and running ability and open field vision and, and escapability and all that. Like he, He's special in that aspect of his game. And he's also a good passer. Now, he's got some accuracy issues with uh, his his base is very narrow. So if you're wondering what that means, go go outside and try to like not take a step forward and throw a football, and you'll see that it doesn't always go where you want it to go, and that's kind of what happens with Lamar Jackson as well. But when, when his footwork's good and his accuracy is good, he's a really good player. He's, got, he's really improved in his deep ball. He throws with anticipation. He's going to see a lot of zone coverage, and that's what he really picked apart in college. And, you know, he comes from a pro-style system. Uh, with uh, Bobby Petrino. So I really like Lamar Jackson. And from a fantasy perspective, you know, if he gets the right landing spot, he's probably QB1 
fantasy wise because of that rushing upside. And you know, we see a guy like Tyrod Taylor not put up any passing stats, but end up as a top twelve quarterback because of his rushing ability. And Lamar Jackson far, far, far better rusher than Tyrod Taylor. I mean, he's gonna step in and be the best running quarterback in the NFL. And then a guy like Mason Rudolph, prototypical size, four year production, uh very accurate, not the strongest arm, but can he he completed a pass over 70 yards in the air this year. So a big thing with me when I evaluate quarterbacks is I think arm strength is nice, but I think it, it gets overblown. You know, at a certain point, the difference isn't – it's it's negligible. Like, it, it doesn't matter that much, and we make a huge deal out of it. Like, how often does an, a, a quarterback really have to throw 60 yards in the air? If you're relying on that in your offense, you're never going to go anywhere. Um but uh, Rudolph needs to work a little bit going through his progressions. He kind of makes high-low half-field reads, basically isolates the safety. There's two routes, and the safety has to pick one. And once he does, Rudolph responds and goes to the other one. He does that really well, but it's more half-field half field reads. Uh, another thing I really like about Rudolph is his escapability in the pocket. Not a great athlete, but gets out of trouble a lot. Pretty good spin move, keeps his eyes downfield. He reminds me some of Tony Romo in that aspect, where a guy that you wouldn't necessarily expect to get out of a lot of trouble, but does. Um, so those are my top five. And, you know, I, I know you want to ask me about Josh Allen. So, um, Allen yeah. is a freak, really good athlete, really big arm. That's the good. And then the bad is as inaccurate as any quarterback in the draft. You know, uh, Brian Billick of the Ravens said when they drafted Kyle Bowler was the, our biggest mistake was we kept making excuses for, his inaccuracies. And that's what I feel like we're doing all over again. People are saying, well, his comp- his uh, his help wasn't good enough. And, you know, he's never completed more than 56% of his passes at any level, including Juco the year before at Wyoming where he had two NFL players um, play with him. I mean, his anticipation is really bad. His accuracy is bad. His ability to feel pressure is bad. He leaves a clean pocket. He feels ghosts. Uh, he forces throws. You know, I talked about Rosen trying to be a brawler. I feel like Josh Allen is a brawler with no technique. He's just (laughs) – so – and then Lolette is the complete opposite. You know, just an incredibly accurate quarterback, probably low ceiling. He reminds me a little bit of Kirk Cousins coming out. Now, obviously, Kirk Cousins hit his ceiling, but Lolette is just a a guy that's probably going to go in the third round and just be a backup with, you know, average starter upside and – really accurate, can make tight window throws, but lacks in arm strength, needs to do better job going through his progressions. But, again, the accuracy is there. Okay, I got a couple questions on some of these guys. Um, Baker Mayfield, so for those that do watch on the YouTube channel, you'll see um, the wonderful headband that he's rocking, so you got that going for you. But um, when you're looking at Baker Mayfield, what where do you see him going? Because I agree with everything you're saying. I think the upside's tremendous with him. But we'll get into these other guys that most, quote-unquote, have projected going higher. Where do you see Baker Mayfield going to be in a really good fit? So I don't want to jinx it, but I think the Jets. Now, that, obviously, the Jets are my favorite team. Anyone that follows me has told me, basically, I need to stop talking about Baker Mayfield because I get too excited when I talk about him. But everyone is linking them to Baker. And, you know, I, I talked to a, a source, actually, a couple months ago, and they told me Baker was the guy they traded up for. And now you see all this stuff coming out. and You know, just – it makes sense to me because the Giants and Browns have not been connected to Baker at all, right? And the Jets would have, if they're trading up to three, should have a really good sense of who's going first and second. And the one quarterback that hasn't been linked 
there at all is Baker Mayfield and the guy they could probably feel comfortable. And apparently John Elway was a big fan of and they wanted to jump him for them. And then, you know, Bates' system, they're they're gonna have a lot of spread concepts. They're gonna include RPO. They're gonna have a lot of easy reads. And um I, I think that they're ready to kind of go all in on Baker Mayfield. So I'm I'm hoping it's the Jets. Um signs point to it's the Jets, which makes me nervous because I've learned as a Jets fan that you're not allowed to be happy. So I, 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 I'm, I'm nervous about that. But I think Baker's locked in the top five or six. When they made that initial trade up from where they were and gave all, all those picks away, how, how did you feel initially about that deal? I was not happy at all. At all. I mean, I don't understand. And what I, what I just said is the logical approach, right? Like they have to have talked to the Browns and Giants and feel very comfortable about who they're taking. Yeah. They have to. If, if they didn't, then it's idiotic. They have to feel comfortable they're getting their guy when you sell three third, uh, second round picks. Those are those are prime players for a team that needs a lot of things. So I feel like, to me, I was like, I don't know how you do it two months before the draft to third overall. Yeah. It, it, it makes it, re- it makes you really worried that you know the guy you wanted. Um, one of these other teams could get hot on the Bills could jump you to two. Like I just. I think there's a lot of things to get nervous about in, in that aspect. And, you know, you pay a huge premium. You better make sure you get your guy. And people said, well, maybe they feel comfortable that there's three quarterbacks and they feel comfortable with any three of them. You know, I said that I have top three quarterbacks, but that's just kind of for the NFL in general. When when you're getting guys to build your, your franchise around, you're going all in. Like, I highly doubt you have three guys with identical grades. That just doesn't make sense to me. Um, so I, I'm – Real nervous because they went all in without being 100% sure of what they actually have. Yeah, it was an interesting move for sure. A couple other things. Lamar Jackson, I, I laughed when they mentioned the wide receiver talk a couple months ago, you know, moving him out because he has the talents to play quarterback. Uh, where do you see him falling? Because I've heard anywhere, you know, late first round, maybe early second. Yeah, I think quarterbacks always get pushed up the board. So I think, you know, 10 to 20 with a team trading up would be my guess. Uh, he's heavily connected with the Cardinals. Uh, apparently the Saints really like him and are thinking about moving up to get him and kind of let him sit behind Breeze for a year or two and then have a Lamar Jackson, Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas base going forward, which which would be fun from a fantasy football perspective. I, I think the wide receiver thing makes no sense. I mean, it's it's kind of dead at this point, but I don't understand why you would have this guy – with all this amazing athleticism that's shown real upside as a passer and say, okay, you play the most important position. Let's go have you do something you've never done. That's now less important. You've never run a route. You've never caught a pass. Like why, why would I, why would I do that? And I mean, if you want to start him at quarterback and it, you give him three, four years and it just goes terribly wrong in his second contract, someone wants to try him out wide receiver, whatever. I mean, like that, that's, I, I can understand that aspect of it, but I'm with you that, you know, he's a, he's a quarterback through and through. Uh, a lot of reports are that uh, teams are much higher on him than uh, the media has portrayed it and that he, he could end up going a lot higher than people expect. And then the Josh Allen thing, as I agree with everything you said, we talked about it kind of before we started recording. I don't see the love, but everywhere you look, he's, you know, it's between him and Darnold at number one. But in the last couple of days, there's been a lot of talk of the free fall and teams are starting to maybe, you know, get a little sour to him, catch it on to things like guys like yourself are talking about. Do you still see him going high just because that's what it looks like? Or do you envision a free fall actually happening? But there's something I've learned about the NFL. They seem to like big, white, bad quarterbacks, and they tend to draft them high. <laughs> <laughs> so true. 
so uh, so do I have confidence that he'll fall? No. Should he fall? Yes. Um, but you know, these coaches, they they're all a lot of them have these huge egos, right? And they always say, he's got all the tools. He's got the huge arm. He can make any throw. Look at the athleticism. Think just think of everything. If I got my hands on him, I could fix everything else. And the the historical hit rate of that player is basically zero. I mean, if you want to go find me the guy that's a that basically has no ability to kind of go through progressions, throw with anticipation, good footwork in the pocket, and incredibly inaccurate. I mean, those guys just, they don't succeed. Um, and building your whole franchise around him sounds risky. But you know what? This I could see him going one. I would love him to go one as a Jets fan. Because it's just <laughs> like, he can't come there. But uh, apparently the Bills, the Bills are ready to go all in on Josh Allen. They're ready to trade up. Not only use the 12th overall pick, but use like 12, 22, next oh, year's Jesus. first and a second this year just to move up and go get him. So. Who I'd be see, shocked if he fell. Who could, who could you see the Bills maybe trading with? So the rumored trade is um, the Giants don't want to go past five or six hmm. because they want Quentin Nelson or Saquon Barkley, right, if they're not going to take a quarterback. I ultimately think they do take a quarterback, but um, and it would basically be a three-team trade. Bucky uh, Brooks talked about this. You, you might see some NBA-like trades in the uh, NFL draft this year where – the Giants don't want to go all the way back to 12, but the Broncos and Colts are willing to go that far. So they kind of have a three-team trade so the Giants can still get one of their top targets and the Bills can get all the way to two, um, like which would be – I don't even know how – I'm not even going to try to pretend to put all the moving pieces to that. But that would that would be a draft day shocker where basically you could throw out every single mock draft from that on oh, out no. because everything is going insane. Definitely. Uh, how many quarterbacks do you think you see going around one this year? Because there's a, it, it seems like way more than normal are getting talked about. So the prop bet opened at five, and now is at five and a half. Five would have been the easiest bet in the world because you're worst case you're pushing. Pushing, yeah. Right, because Darnold's going round one, Baker's going round one. By the way, huge shout out to the guy on Twitter that bet me a hundred dollars uh, to a charity of my choice that Baker wouldn't go in the first two rounds of the NFL draft four months ago. So I really appreciate you. Um, wow. Hey, yeah. First two rounds. Yeah, not, not round one. Cause I wrote my report last year that I love Baker and he was like, Baker won't even get drafted. And uh, I went back to him this year. I was like, do you still feel that way? He's like, no way he goes in the first three rounds, but I'll bet on the first two. Um, so Baker, Darnold, Allen, Rosen, Lamar, pretty sure all locked into round one. And the question is, does Mason Rudolph slip in there? Because some teams are very high on him and some teams aren't from all the reports. And, you know, the old Bill Parcells model where he needs a quarterback to check like all six boxes. Rudolph is the only one who actually checks all six. Um, so I, I could see Rudolph, maybe he's 31 to the Patriots. Um, so – I want to say five, but I could see six. And, okay. and you know, I, I think that Kyle Lalletta sneaks in the first round stuff is nonsense. I mean, that, that reminds me of, you know, two years ago, it was Connor Cook's going to sneak, sneak in the first round. And then the year before that, it was like Bryce Petty's going to sneak in the first round. I, I think sometimes we get a little crazy, but I would, I would say five comfortably with the possibility of six. I like it. Um, any late round quarterbacks, kind of sleeper quarterbacks, maybe we can make this a fantasy angle that you could see, you know, coming out later in the draft. I, Kyle Lallett is the, the guy. I mean, my basic principle is um, 
if you're not like a worth drafting in the first or second round for quarterback, for the most part, I don't care. And people are going to be like, well, there's exceptions, man. There's Tom Brady in the sixth round. I was like, you keep shooting for your sixth round quarterback and exactly. see how well that goes. Um, now, I really liked Russell Wilson and Dak Prescott coming out. Like they, Wilson had a first round grade for me and Dak had a second round grade for me. So that even then, that's different. You know what I mean? But the, these are the quarterbacks. The, the guys I've mentioned are the ones I think uh, – have an opportunity to make a fantasy impact. Now, Mike White is solid. Some people love Kirk Ben Kirk. I, I think Ben Kirk has some issues similar to Allen. Um, I, I'm I'm not a big fan. And you know what? In general, when we normally talk about late round sleepers, there's it's because there's two or three quarterbacks at the top. When there's yeah. five to six, that really that's going to really push a lot of these guys down the board. It's true. Um, last question on the quarterbacks. You know, most likely out of those top five guys. If you had to just throw a dart right now, which one of those five is the best fantasy player this upcoming season? I'd say Baker Mayfield because I think he's pro-ready. I think he can make a ton of plays. He can use his legs. Um, I And Lamar Jackson, I'm not confident, is going to start year one. So, No, I like that a lot. Um, let's go to the running backs position. Let's talk about the top five running backs according to you because, um, to me, it's – a good list of running backs as always, but there's going to be a handful we've never heard of that'll show up later rounds. And we've seen it year in and year out. There's undrafted running backs all the time that make an impact in the, in the NFL. But let's talk about some of the top guys and most of them come out of the SEC, but um, who you liking as your running back position? Uh, well, Saquon Barkley's pretty good at football. I know that's yeah. been like a, something that people are trying to argue with lately, but like you, you but he you might know. not make it in the pros. Like, I don't know if he's worth the top pick. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't lower his shoulder enough but i've learned that if you just make someone miss you don't need to lower your shoulder i mean i would i prefer my running backs to not get hit i mean that's a huge thing right when you talk about the durability of running backs you see this with Gurley and bell they both pick and choose when they try to run through people and barkley does the same thing i mean he might be the best running back athlete we've ever seen um in the fantasy football era and 99th percentile just Freak at everything he does. He's an elite receiver. He's basic, and people call him Darren Sproles or Reggie Bush at 230 pounds, and that's their insult. And to me, I'm like, you know how scary that is. If Darren Sproles put on 50 pounds and did everything he did, ridiculous. Um, so I, I almost don't want to spend much time on him because no. you know, speed, power, balance, uh, elusiveness, ability to catch, route running, pass protection, all they all check the box. And now. He bounced the ball outside a little bit too much, and people are really focusing on that. But Graham Barfield did a study and showed that when he bounces the ball, he averages over nine yards a carry. So you can continue to complain about that, but if I'm getting nine yards a carry, I'm going to live with a minus one or two on every seven or eight attempts. I'm going to be okay with that. Now, uh, Geis is someone I really like as well. Um, uh, He didn't necessarily have the receiving production, but – to me, he has the traits, um, and he was a high school receiver, and LSU doesn't really use the running back in the receiving game as much. So I, I feel comfortable with him in that area. Uh, he's very elusive. He loves to run through your face. That's like his game. He's a tone-setting running back. and Now, that's fantastic, and that people really love that. But one thing that worries me is that that tends to lead to guys getting nicked up. And with with guys, people always say, look at the 2016 film not the 2017 film, because that's the real him. That's when he was healthy. But to me, it's you have to understand that when you draft guys, he's probably going to get nicked up as well if you're constantly trying to run through people's face. I mean, that's basically the history of the NFL. Even Marshawn Lynch, 
you know, he, he started getting nagging injuries and missed time during the games. And, um, but, you know, from what he can do on the football field, speed, power, he's got really good contact balance, good stiff arm, uh, good vision. He, he can really use his elusiveness too, but he tr- prefers to try to run through your face. So um, I, I really like guys. Sonny Michelle comes in as number three for me. Michelle, I, I need to make this very clear because I – NFL teams pass 64% of the time and run 36% of the time. Uh, and we've kind of, you talked about all the valuable running backs that have come, kind of come every year undrafted free agents. They can, they can have production. So I want you to do the thing that's most valuable for me to rank you most highly, which is not just catching a football because I, I can throw you a pass and you'll catch the football, but you're not going to break a linebacker down in space and then turn it into 60 yards. That's the difference. People always talk about catching. To me, it's route running and, you know, ability to become a weapon. And I think Michelle can do that. He didn't catch many passes this past year at Georgia, but the two previous years he caught over 20 passes in each season. And I've kind of seen that uh, through some research that that's kind of like a really good study to show if they can kind of be, you know, top 20 pass catching back in the NFL. And, Michelle's an, an elite pass blocker as well, so he's going to have that right there. He's got really good vision and anticipation, understanding where his blocks are going to be. Uh, he can shuffle his feet a little bit when he cuts, but you know he can make people miss in space. Good contact balance at the second level. Where he struggles is you know, he's a smaller guy, so if you kind of hit him near the line of scrimmage before he accelerates, he can go down a little bit easier. But I, I really think in today's NFL, he, he can have a very nice impact. People always say he's like Alvin Kamara. And you know, we do this every every year. Whoever was the big hit the year before, like last year, was like, who's the next back? And the answer is there's probably not a next back. Uh, but he can do the Alvin Kamara role. Now, not He's not going to be an all-pro necessarily, but he can really succeed in that Alvin Kamara 12 to 15 touch, very dangerous receiver role. Um, now, someone I'm higher on than basically anybody else, and a lot of people are high on him, is John Kelly running back out of Tennessee. Now, he's my fourth-ranked running back. Again, the receiving ability is everything for me. He's he's going to go in the fourth or fifth round, and pro- he might be the 10th to 15th running back off the board. So he's kind of like a fantasy sleeper. Uh, he, he led all um, running backs in the class in yards per target on receptions. He had a higher percentage of the receiving offense than Saquon Barkley did. He caught 37 passes at Tennessee. First five or six games of the year, dominated competition, led the country in uh, missed tack or yeah, missed t- forced missed tackles. Uh, amazing contact balance, really good stiff arm. Doesn't have top end speed, not a great athlete. Kind of like the athletic profile of a Kareem Hunt. Um, then he smokes weed, got suspended a game. I, I always make this joke. You know, if, if I stopped drafting NFL players because they smoked weed, we'd have like four guys left on the draft board. <laughs> so uh, yeah. it's it's not a huge deal to me. And then this is a re- really – context is really important when you look at box score or even just watch films. You, you need to understand what's going on. The team quit on Butch Jones at Tennessee after the Alabama game. And you watch the games and the offensive line basically stops blocking. And as a running back, you if you have nowhere to go, it gets super hard to put up good stats. So he actually lost – he uh, was tackled at or behind the line of scrimmage on 26% of his runs. And so many of them came in the second half of the season where the, no one is trying. And running behind an offensive line that's not trying, you're in the SEC, you're not going to go anywhere. So I think that bad end of the season has hurt his draft stock. But I, I think that he can be a really successful player. Um, and then my to round out the top five, Nick Chubb of Georgia – 
you know, if this was, I always say if this is 2006, he'd be a first round prospect, but I don't trust his ability to catch passes and become a dynamic receiver. You know, since the knee injury, he never caught more than six passes in a season. He didn't, he only had, um, he had less than 60 pass block reps this past season. They, they really took him off the field in that area. He's, he lost some of his lateral agility. Now, between the tackles, though, you know, home run speed, balance, power, ability to lower the shoulder, make someone miss, fantastic vision, anticipation, elusiveness. Like, as a, he might be the best pure running back in the class, but when you add in the receiving ability, I think that that hurts him overall. Got a lot. Um, some very interesting things you mentioned there. I was wondering about the Alvin Kamara comparison. You hit Michelle big time there, so that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, the John Kelly call, uh, that's a, a good one because he, he'll go off a lot of boards, like you said, due to the the incident with marijuana, which is just funny. But um, I've heard a lot of mixed reviews on a guy like Nick Chubb with the knee injuries and everything. How, how are you looking at Nick Chubb? So I talked to Charles McDonald, who's uh, been following the Georgia team for four years uh, and watched every rep that Nick Chubb has ever taken, and he told me that – you know, Chubb is all the way back except for the lateral agility. And he's like, it's been two years, and I don't know if that's ever coming back, which is why I have the concerns for the receiving ability. Um, so that's obviously a knock because freshman Nick Chubb was so good that we were questioning whether or not Todd Gurley, which is the product of Georgia's system. Um, so the the lateral agility, I don't know if that's ever going to come back. Now, if it does and he becomes a good receiver, then he could easily be RB2 in this class. So a team may feel comfortable with that upside. You know, he tested as a freak athlete, not necessarily a great three-cone, but um, and three-cone, for the record, just tests your ability to change direction, on a, a time test for that. So I have – I don't necessarily think it's at risk to re-injure it, but I'm not sure the lateral agility has returned. Okay. Uh, what are some of the late round, maybe even undrafted guys that you wouldn't be surprised to see on a roster this year and making an impact? Yeah, so this running back class is deep, and I think it's deeper at you know the the Nick Chubb role, the two down guy, than it is uh, the pass catching guy. So you know I didn't mention a guy like Ronald Jones, Rashad Penny, Carryon Johnson. Uh, these guys could all be day two picks easily and fall into a role that's you know ideal for fantasy. And you know I think a guy like Penny has real upside as a runner too. Um, a couple late round guys that I like. Um, Neheim Hines is a really good receiver. He actually used to play slot receiver. Uh, he's going to be able to catch a lot of passes. He gets comp to Giovanni Bernard a lot. Uh, weapon can split out wide. You know, all-American track guy. Burner throws his body around, too. He plays bigger than he is. Now, that could lead to injuries again. Because anytime you're the little guy trying to run through people's face, it can it can really impact your, your health. But I like him a lot. Um, Jordan Wilkins out of Ole Miss is a late round guy that a lot of that that I'm a fan of. Now he he could go anywhere between the fifth round and undrafted. Um and so he you may never hear from him, but really good patience, good vision. He's very good smooth jump cutter, can catch the football, good balance. So um I I like Jordan Wilkins late. And then Chase Edmonds is another guy. He's a D two guy. Would have broken the all-time rushing record if he didn't get hurt this past year. Dynamic receiver. He had the elite three cone. Really good change of direction. So those are a couple of late-round guys that I'm a big fan, that I'm a fan of. Uh, last running back question I have for you. When you talk about Saquon Barkley and how great he is, and everyone knows how great he is, um, we had Ezekiel Elliott come out last year, and he was just a freak as a back as well. If you had to 
say, could Saquon have that same immediate impact that Ezekiel Elliott had? Yes, 100%. So I actually did a – I looked at this uh, for 4 for 4, and the, there's an article that will come out about it at some point. But, you know, when you go top 10, teams, they just feed you. I mean, Fournette averaged 24 yards uh, – sorry, 24 targets and touches a game. Uh, McCaffrey led the the league in targets. Uh, Zeke – was 23 targets and touches a game. Gurley was 19 targets and touches a game. Now that's that number seems a little bit lower, but you have to remember that he was coming off the ACL, so they kind of worked him in a little bit slower. And then he was he just got all the touches he can handle. So Barkley's going to have the volume, and he's well, whoever drafts him. Now this is the tough part. Assumption of rational coaching is really tough here because whoever drafts him should feature him in the passing game. Like there's no reason he shouldn't get a Christian McCaffrey like pass game workload on top of 18 to 20 carries a game. So right then and there, you're talking about a RB 10, even if he's not very good, just because of the pure volume. And then you add in his talent and he could end up being RB one overall, depending on where he goes. I mean, I assume he's going to go between two and seven. I think the possibilities are giants, Browns, Broncos, Colts and Bucks. The only team I don't want to see him go to is Browns because he's going to have to compete some with Carlos Hyde and Duke Johnson. Now, they should just basically cut Hyde and say, thanks, it was, it was fun, but we have Barkley now and still use Barkley and Duke Johnson on third downs. But if he goes to the Giants, uh, the Broncos, the Colts, or the Bucks, he's not even going to really have competition for touches. I mean, Peyton Barber, Marlon Mack, Wayne Gallman, and um, Devontae Booker would be his top competition so they're gonna they're gonna give him the rock until he can't handle it anymore so you know from a volume perspective he's gonna have the volume of rb1 and from the talent perspective he's got a chance to be rb1 overall do you think he'd be a first round fantasy draft pick yes perfect uh, the browns he isn't but like if he goes to the bucks oh he'd be scary there he'd be terrifying there because their offense is so good they could use him in so many ways teams couldn't focus on him they'd split him out wide you know, he he would be up there with Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson, I would think. That's outstanding. Well, I, I hope we get to revisit this later as a really uh, accurate assessment there because that would be something <laughs> fun to watch. I, I love seeing little running backs doing stuff like that. We take this brief break from Bench with Bubba to talk to you about Roto-Wear. It's one of the best quality shirts in the industry. When I mean industry – all the clothing industry, the fantasy sports industry, because people are rocking it. They're loving it. You're seeing it in a lot of big outlets now. The, no other brand can compete with Rotowear in terms of quality. They're premium blend fabric, super soft, comfortable, athletic fit shirts. They specialize with a special, special printing process. The design is part of the shirt. Literally, it is, it is dyed and bleached into the fabric. No thick ink. There's over 30 different designs right now. It's just crazy all the stuff they have coming out, and there's more and more stu- stuff every time you turn your head. They have fancy football, baseball, hockey, basketball, some really cool DFS ones, but everything's great. They have men's, women's, and kids. Check them all out. Go to rotoware.com, R-O-T-O-W-E-A-R.com. Check them out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Rotoware. But the cool part, guys, if you use the promo code DGENS, D-E-G-E-N-S, you get 20% off your order. Again, promo code DGENS, D-E-G-E-N-S. Check their site out. Check them Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. They're always giving away free shirts. And then when you go to purchase the ones you want for you, your loved ones, your friends, your family, whatever, use promo code DGENS, D-E-G-E-N-S, for 20% off your order. Now back to this week's episode of Bench with Bubba. Let's go to the wide receiver position. Uh, not as glorious one would say as years past. Like there are, if you know college football enough, you know these guys are really, really good. Obviously, but you don't have like that really flashy guy 
at least in my opinion. Could be totally wrong, but give me your, uh, you know, a couple of the top wide receivers you're looking at. Yeah, so wide receivers, I think the hardest position to rank in general because you're really comparing guys that do different things, right? Like how do I compare the contested catch guy down the field vertical threat to the underneath receiver? Now it's it's based on how I value those two traits more, right? But an NFL team may already have the underneath guy and be looking for the downfield threat. So it, it's going to be very different for very different uh, for different teams. And, you know, this wide receiver class isn't top heavy. Like last year, the Corey Davis, the Mike Williams, there was a lot of guys that teams got really excited about. And, you know, two went top seven, but or three went top ten. Um, this year, I think the depth of the class is really good. I think there's a lot of wide receiver twos that can make real impacts in the NFL. But I think the highest ceiling player in the draft is Cortland Sutton, wide receiver at SMU. He reminds me of Brandon Marshall, you know, six foot four, 220 pounds, uh, really good athlete, excellent change of direction, really good after the catch, too. They throw him wide receiver screens and good contact balance, good open field vision, you know. When Brandon Marshall puts his foot in the ground, he can explode out of it, almost to the point where you would think like his his ACL would pop out of his leg, but it never does and um, can really make a lot of plays after the catch. This is prime Brandon Marshall, not Brandon Marshall right now, for the record. Um, and Cortland Sutton does a lot of that. He He's so inconsistent with uh, contested catch situations. You know, sometimes he looks incredible, and other times he looks uh, – it's it's really lacking. He He, remind, he gets frustrated when he doesn't get the football. He kind of has that wide receiver thing, and sometimes it makes him turn into the Hulk, and sometimes it just takes him out of the game completely. So that, that that's a little uh, concerning, and he needs to improve his route running. Now, he he the routes he does run are pretty good, but at SMU he basically ran a go, um, a slant, or a screen, and that, that's a post or uh, a corner route. That's kind of what he did, and he need, he's going to need to develop his route tree. So uh, Calvin Ridley is a guy I really like now. Uh, draft Twitter either – Film Twitter loves Calvin Ridley. Metric Twitter hates Calvin Ridley. You know, he's an older he's an older player. I think it's as long as you understand what you're using him to do, I think Calvin Ridley is going to be a really good player. He's you know, incredibly good feet. Uh, exceptional route runner, you know, a, a, a route runner that steps in the NFL is probably going to be the best route runner on his team. He can get vertical. He's constantly open at Alabama. They just have a terrible quarterback, so I don't think it's fair to just look at his numbers. You know, great release off the line of scrimmage. He'll run like a five-yard slant and have four yards of separation against the top corners in the country because they're they're basically facing the wrong direction. Now, he's really good with the ball in his hands too until you touch him. Now, he's he weighed in at under 190. He's kind of a twig. He's not going to win contested catch situations. He's uh, basically once you make contact with him, he's going down. So those are some issues with him. and But I always say when I evaluate an older player, they need to be developed, right? I don't want a 23, 24-year-old raw player. That's that's going to put me in trouble. If I'm drafting a guy that's 23, but I feel like his skill set is ready right now to, to produce in the NFL at a high level, I feel much more comfortable with that. So I, I really, number two, James Washington's my third receiver. Um Tracks the ball exceptionally well. Intermediate and deep receiver, good route runner, really good stacking. Uh, now, for people that don't know what that is, the best way I've heard it described is basically like imagine a relay race where someone's handing you the, the baton. Or let me start over. Imagine a, a track race, right? And you know when you're ahead of someone and they're trying to get behind you and you basically just make sure they can't without going through you? That's what stacking your corner is. And you basically assume you, you take away the corner's ability to break up the football and he either 
lets you catch the football or he interferes with you. And either way, that's a win for the offense. And James Washington is, is exceptional at that. Um, he's going to need to improve his route tree, kind of like Cortland Sutton. You know, some of these guys come from these spread systems and it's not necessarily a developed route tree. And he's going to need to work on some of the underneath stuff. He's okay after the catch. Um, you know, we'll probably need to get better against press because he didn't see a ton of it. Uh, he can get stuck on contact at, at times. Now, uh, the fourth guy is DJ Moore. Moore is, you know, tested off the charts as an athlete. Incredible production at Maryland. Very young player. He's not even 21 years old. So there's a lot to really like about Moore. Now, the production thing is so funny to me because people hate Jarvis Landry, right? <laughs> like, yep. To no end. People just say, you know, anyone can do what Jarvis Landry does. His numbers are all manufactured by easy targets. And um, I don't I don't need that player. Those same people then come back and say, have you seen DJ Moore's production? And I'm like, you can't you don't have it both ways. Like, I really like Jarvis Landry. I think you can argue about whether or not his role is valuable. But I don't think you really there's a good argument about whether or not he's a good player. Moore is like Jarvis Landry or Golden Tate where. All of his, I don't want to say all of it, but like 80% of his production was at the line of scrimmage, behind the line of scrimmage, or with five yards. Like it was a lot of like tunnel screens and stuff like that, where they would allow him to use his running back like skills. He can make contested catches over the middle. And, you know, when he goes down the field, he, he has exceptional body control. He plays bigger than he is. He can make contested catches. He is not a good route runner. He's not crisp out of his routes. He, he's going to struggle against press. He's going to struggle to make that transition there. You might, you probably want to put him in the slot to start to kind of manufacture that initial release. But, you know, I think his ceiling is high. I just think he's kind of a Golden Tate player, and people want to make him into this otherworldly superstar prospect. And Tate's a really good NFL player. And I, I always say that Ridley and DJ Moore would complement each other perfectly because they, they do – what one is good at, the other one really struggles at. So, again, what role do you value most? That's going to impact the, the rankings. Um, and then a guy I'm, I'm higher on than most is Equinemius St. Brown. You know, that size, speed combination, six foot four, six foot five, sub four, five, 40. His quarterback really held him back. That, that's a theme in this class. You're going to hear that on draft day. His quarterback struggled. And you're like, I'm tired of hearing this. Like, they're over-exaggerating. No. The receivers in this class, most of their quarterbacks sucked. And that's that's. I feel like that's being nice to the quarterbacks. Um, you know, Brown has good hands. He's incredible after the catch for his side, uh, size. He reminds me a little bit of Julio Jones. Just for this one reason, not as a prospect. Just for this one reason, not as a prospect. Do not cut that little thing out where I put... Uh, he reminds me of Julio Jones. I hear this on Twitter two years from now. When they run those shallow, shallow crossers for Julio Jones and they get on the ball and allow him to turn up field and he hits these like 60, 70-yard runs, Brown has that ability. He gets in and out of his breaks incredibly well for someone his size, really good hips, really good route runner, needs to really improve against press and, and contact. Um, they kept him off the line of scrimmage for that reason a lot. So he may need a year to make the transition, but I think he's a very high-ceiling player. Okay, I like it. Uh, that's a good last on there, Brown. She's not on a lot of the the top of the radar for some people, so I, I do like that quite a bit. Um, yeah, the DJ Moore comps, I, I've heard a lot of goods and bads there. The Ridleys, I agree. You look at you know a lot of these players in Maryland, Alabama, uh, Memphis, even. A lot of these schools, the quarterbacks sucked. Like, <laughs> what are you going to do about it? They just weren't any good. That's not the, the receiver's fault. Um, 
and, and I heard a good, it might have been on your podcast or a different one. When you look at like the LSU receivers from years past, Odell Beckham and all those guys, they never had quarterbacks. There's a reason why they fell in drafts and look what they did. The talent's the talent, and and that's kind of what you're saying here, and that's, that's a good point to make. You can't blame it on these players. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the top 10 guys in my draft, right, on my board. SMU, Alabama, Oklahoma State. Now, Oklahoma State's quarterback was obviously a really good quarterback. Yeah. Maryland, Notre Dame, Colorado State, Texas A&M, Texas Tech, Washington, and Penn State. So seven of the top 10 quarterbacks or top 10 receivers quarterbacks were legitimately terrible. Um, and that's going to have a huge impact on their numbers and how good they look in certain situations. Um, you know, last year, the darling for everyone was Cooper Cup. Oh, look at him. He's going to be great. Washington, Eastern Washington, you know, not not the on-the-radar type guy. Who are we looking at this year as that kind of, you know, special guy, not at a big school that's going to make an impact? Um, I'll give you three. Because um, you know what? There's a couple other guys we didn't talk about. Christian Kirk, um, Michael Gallup. Deshaun Hamilton, Dante Pettis, DJ Shark. These are all names that you could easily hear on day two. Christian Kirk's been talked about day one. So a couple guys I really like. Kiki Cutie out of Texas Tech. Now, most people are like, who is that? Kiki Cutie was 114th in deep targets in the country. Now, a deep target is any target over 20 yards in the air. He was eighth in the country in total deep target yards. That's hard to do. He had over a thousand yards in the slot. You know, he he says he models his game off Tavon Austin, and people are like, oh no, I don't want another Tavon Austin. But keep in mind, Jeff Fisher ruined that talent. Uh, there's a lot you could do with Tavon Austin and that type of athlete. And Keegan Cutie is that type of athlete. He tracks the ball really well. He can get vertical from the slot. He fantastic after the catch, make you miss. They gave him uh, carries at running back. He can run through contact. He's a smaller guy. He's going to be limited to the slot, which is why he's going to fall. But he can do a lot of things from the slot. Um, Anthony Miller might have the best footwork in the class. Uh, people compare him to Antonio Brown because of his feet. You know, exceptional route runner, older prospect, but, you know, dominated against a guy like Mike Hughes, the cornerback from UCF, who's going to go in the first or early second round, uh, was one of the best press corners in the country. And Miller kind of ate, ate him up. Um Miller struggles with catching the football some. Concentration drops, lets the ball into his body. But really good ability to separate, really good route runner. Pretty good after the catch. And he actually makes a lot more contested catches than one would think. And another guy that's probably going to go in the fifth or sixth round that I love is Richie James. Um, Richie James is very similar to Anthony Miller, to be honest. Now, he was he was used everywhere. They made him the Wildcat quarterback. He he missed this past uh, year um, due to injury, but the two years prior, it had over 1,500 receiving yards both years. Uh, fantastic body control, really good after the catch, incredible feet, gets great separation, can play inside and out in college, probably going to be more of a slot receiver. You can put him in the backfield, and he can run routes out of there and break linebackers down in space, really strong hands. Much bigger catch radius than you would think. Kind of does everything well with really good feet and strong hands and just an absolute competitor. Now he's got some injury concerns, but, you know, those slot receivers, NFL teams continue to draft in the fourth or fifth round. But we've 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 seen that they can have real impacts. And I, I fully expect Richie James to have like a Jamison Crowder like impact on the NFL.
Nice. And that, that, that was the last part you mentioned. I was, was going to ask you after a couple of guys, you mentioned slot roll, slot roll, slot roll. So it's going to fall on back. But you and I both know, especially from the fantasy perspective, these guys are tremendous. In a PPR league, you throw them in the slot. We've seen this work time and time again. You know, the Patriots have mastered it. I love the Crowder call. Tate's kind of a slot guy now. Landry is a phenomenal kind of slot or slot, or at least if he wasn't in the slot, just short route guy. Um, it, it is kind of the way of the NFL. You still have your guys that go deep or try to burn or whatever, but that slot guy becomes more and more influential. And that's why, again, going back to Saquon Barkley can make him tremendous, which you mentioned there. But uh, some really good stuff there at the wide receiver position. And uh, that's the position I like watching the later rounds for because you hit a lot of names there that we will definitely be hearing on Sundays in the in the year to come. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, let's go to the tight end position. And it's, it's really never flashy with the tight end position. And it's a lot of guys no one's really heard of because college kind of, for the most part, doesn't – doesn't seem to use the tight end unless I'm missing something. Uh, they don't really care for the tight end as much as y- you would think, but um, they always make an impact when it comes to the regular season. So what are some of the tight ends you're looking at? Um, Dallas Goddard out of San Diego State. Uh, San Diego State. South Dakota State. He reminds me of like a Zach Ertz meets Cameron Brait. Really good after the catch. Great catch radius. The only tight end that I actually feel comfortable blocking. Um, Mike Gusecki. Has like a Jimmy Graham like game, former volleyball player, six foot five, freak athlete. If you go to mockdraftable.com and you look at kind of his spider chart for athleticism, it's basically just a chart fully colored in. Um, he's got a huge catch radius. The the old joke about Gasecki is basically the best blocking he does is on Twitter, where if you question his blocking, he then blocks you on Twitter. Um, so he, he's gonna have that transition. He might just be a big receiver. Now you asked me for fantasy purposes. Tight end one is whoever gets drafted by the Saints. You know, they, they have a lot of tight end targets to go around there. And so maybe the Falcons, but those are the top two guys. I really like Mark Andrews out of Oklahoma. He, again, doesn't block. He's kind of been a slot receiver. Reminds me of a prospect as Jason Merrill. That doesn't mean he's going to bust. Again, prospect is traits, not career projections, which is really important to know. Um, but really good after the catch. Big catch radius can make some contested catches. Uh, Hayden Hurst is a guy that I, I think, you know, H-back, tight end, decent blocker, solid player. But you, you talked about tight ends typically aren't flashy because it's a really difficult transition. It's probably the most difficult yeah. position to transition to in the NFL. So it takes two to three years typically before you can see that kind of production. Hayden Hurst is 25 years old. He was a former baseball player that retired because he got the yips in the minor leagues and like, couldn't throw anymore. So he... he Came back to South Carolina, played football. Now, he's a good football player, but I don't have interest in 25-year-old guys who take two, three years to transition. That's just me. Fantasy, NFL, you know, people talk about him as a first-round pick. I'm not taking a guy in the first round where I don't expect legitimate production and value for my pick till he's 27 or 20 years old. That To me, that's just a bad investment. Well, and then if you're not getting value till 27 or 28, and he's got what maybe two more years left on the tank before you start really losing like the production level. Yeah, that, I mean tight ends probably go to 32, but yeah, I mean you're you're <laughs> again. I, what I talked about Ridley is that if I'm going to take an older prospect, he needs to be step able to step in right away. I don't think Hurst is that level of prospect. You know, he would he would need to be like OJ Howard last year level prospect or Evan Ingram, and he's not. And you know. I, he, he's not a very special guy to, in general, so I wouldn't even look his way before the third or fourth round if I was an NFL team. All right, let's talk about some offensive linemen, um, always underappreciated, but heck, you look back in the day, you know, guys like Joe Thomas went number one, he just retired, and he had such a huge impact on 
many factors of the game. And, you know, uh, Jake Matthews was, had his moments. There's always guys that um, go near the top of the draft that most people go, oh, great, just another O-lineman. But in reality, these guys are the anchor of what you got to do. So just, you know, quickly for some of the people listening, because it won't have any fancy impact, but it does, well, at least not a, not per se by name value, but could help other parts of your fantasy team. What are some offensive linemen we're, we're expected to hear opening day? Quentin Nelson will probably go top seven or eight. I think eight is his floor, the guard from Notre Dame. To put in perspective how good Quentin Nelson is, no one on Twitter questions whether or not Quentin Nelson is good. And that is like the ultimate barometer of greatness because Twitter thinks it, thinks everybody sucks. So, uh, <laughs> so he, he's, he, he's that level of prospect. Um, Isaiah Wynn out of Georgia isn't that far behind Nelson. Now, he's played left tackle. is going to have to move into guard most likely. But, you know, there's really not anything he struggles at. This interior offensive line class in general is very deep. Guys like Will Hernandez, Frank Ragnow, James Daniels, um, Billy Price, Connor Williams, the tackle from Texas is probably going to move inside. All incredibly talented. All probably have a shot at the first round. And, you know, you look at some of these run games and adding a, a serious offensive guard can do wonders. I mean, look what uh, Zach Martin did for the Cowboys, right? And Travis Frederick. I mean, they changed that and they just made Zeke have open holes for days. And there are a lot of offensive linemen in this class that are at that level. Now at the tackle position, Mike McGlinchey out of Notre Dame is a very solid prospect. I wouldn't be surprised if we heard his name come out as, as high as uh, 10, you know, good pass blocker, really good run blocker played next to Quentin Nelson. They have some combo blocks, which are just, unfair uh, they should be illegal for what they did to some of those kids but you know after that depends on if you think connor williams is a left tackle uh there's a guy named colton miller who false steps out of every single um pass rep he has which is really worrisome but he has all world athleticism and some team is probably gonna take a shot on him because offensive linemen are incredibly important but the interior offensive line class it might be the best position group in general um, so there's a lot of offensive linemen you're going to see go round one. No, no, I like it. Uh, big guys myself that played on the line in high school. I appreciate these, these gentlemen. Um, and you mentioned it can help the run game out quite a bit. I also look at it a lot when I'm watching the draft and okay, you got these young quarterbacks and they're always on their backside because no one can block at all. So, you know, you look at a team like the Browns, we know they won't do it, but they have two top picks. Why not go and take, you know, Quentin Nelson and, you know, his teammate McGlinchey, it might be early, but man, you get those two guys that know each other. Now you can protect whatever quarterback you want to draft in the draft, but we don't see that ever. So I think the thing, I, I think, well, one is you had the, the quarterback is the most important position and the Browns, I, if the Browns pass on a quarterback to take a guard first overall, I mean, I don't think they'd have a fan base left, but uh, I, I think Nelson is that level of prospect. Now, could he, you could, I think you could even kick him out to tackle, and he could be good. I just think he could be an all-world guard. The thing about the Browns is they do have uh, Joel Batonio or whatever, and he's been really, really good. And then last year they paid um, J.C. Treader a ton of money to play center, and he's been good. And Kevin uh, Zeitler from the Bengals, who they paid last year, has had a really good career as well. So their interior line is really good. Um, if they traded back some, I think McGlinchey would make a ton of sense for them to be the new replacement for uh, Joe Thomas. But I, I, the reason I think Quentin Nelson's not talked about there is just because they've invested a ton of draft capital and actual money on real good players. But I agree with you. If you if you can just build up an offensive line, it, it really helps a young quarterback. Yeah, because last comment on the O-line, but 
Dak Prescott caught to me as a spinning image of what a good O-line can do for you. You mentioned how the run game improved with the additions they made last year. Zach or Dak at the same time, he's not getting beat up nearly as often as a lot of these young guys are. Look at look at Derek Carr, the Raiders, right? Like the oh, thing yeah. that I was most concerned about him coming into the class, the draft was he couldn't perform under pressure, like when he yeah. had pressure on his face. And they went out and they they paid Osemele and they had Gabe Jackson and Donald Penn and they were just keeping him upright. Yep. And in this past season, they didn't keep him upright as much. And he mm-hmm. just went from like, oh, this guy's the man to, uh-oh, did we just spend $100 million on a, a mistake? And, you know, if you can keep your quarterback upright, average goes to good, good goes to great, great goes to phenomenal. And then I don't really think there are that many phenomenal quarterbacks behind great offensive lines. But if if you do, then you just start wrecking the league all day long. Yeah, no, it's a big part. That's why I, kind of, I want to just overlook it and stay on the position players because it's it's very, very critical to this game that we like to watch. Uh, let's go to the defensive side of things. Uh, who are some of the big first-round targets you, uh, you're seeing coming out there that will impact immediately? Uh, Bradley Chubb out of NC State. He's actually my edge, too. I think he's more of like a 7 to 9, 8 to 10 kind of sack guy than a 15, you know, all-world pass rusher incredibly strong, great against the run, really good hands, lacks that like elite bend that we basically see in every top pass rusher. The guy that has that is Harold Landry out of Boston College. This past season had ankle injuries, didn't have the production. The year before had 16 sacks. Landry is a freak athlete, kind of in that Von Miller role. Uh, it just kind of – his flexibility is absurd. You know, it's – I don't know how some of those guys do it. Like, if I tried to do that, I would fall flat on my face every single time. And they have a a 320-pound man shoving them while they do it. Uh, So I I think Landry's a really good player. Denzel Ward, the cornerback out of Ohio State, I think is every bit the prospect that his former teammate Marshawn Lattimore was. Um, Derwin James out of Florida State, just freak athlete, plays safety, slot corner, uh, linebacker, some too high, you know, just Really good ball skills, really good cover skills, an elite blitzer. Now, Minka Fitzpatrick is an elite blitzer, incredibly high football IQ from Alabama. He's The, the funny thing about Minka is people keep debating whether or not he's an outside corner or free safety, but he played linebacker and slot corner in college. Um, and I, I think that that's where he's best. He said that's where he's best. So I don't think he should go in the top round because I – top 10, not top round, uh, because I don't – I wouldn't take a slot corner top 10. But kind of that Redskins range, the 13 to 20 Packers would be another great team for him where I think he could step in, start, and make a huge impact. So those are a couple guys at the top of the board. Um, I see this guy dropping, but I love him. Mo Hurst reminds me of Gerald McCoy, just an elite interior pass rusher, incredible hand usage. Vita Veyes kind of got a little Haloni Nada to him. Big guy, uh, really good against the run. Freak athlete for a 340-pound man. He has a trump card, too, in the pass rush game where he has a hump move. Basically, he just clubs a lineman and gets him off him and then murders somebody. You know, he, he's a big-time player as well. So those are some of my favorite defensive players in, in terms of the top end of the first round. Oh, I like it a lot. Um, you never know what you're going to get with a defensive guy, but some of these guys are just complete freaks, like you mentioned, and will uh, impact immediately comes uh, Sunday. Let's get into some team-by-team questions here. And, uh, you know, if you have anything that pops up, let me know. But uh, Packers lead the draft with 12 picks this year. And we, we, we talked about before we recorded, you know, you know, scenarios, could they trade up? You know, Rodgers is getting towards the end. They picked up Jimmy Graham. But Nelson's out of town, so on and so forth. 
he needs his weapons. He needs to stay upright, as we talked about. But that defense is also suspect at times. What can you see the Packers maybe doing with those 12 picks? So I think this is really interesting because um, uh, the Colts general manager, I just Ballard, just blanked on his name, um, came out and said that he views after the top four quarterbacks that there are eight non-quarterback um, prospects that are elite prospects, which puts it basically at 12, right? You need to get in the top 12 to get one of those guys. So if you if you agree with that assessment, you know, Packers have all those picks. They can trade up just a few spots and get one of these guys. Now, I think they really need a corner. I think Denzel Ward would be a fantastic player for them. I think Mike McGlinchey, if they stick at 14, could make a lot of sense. They could really use another interior offensive lineman, maybe an Isaiah Wynn. Um, they could use an outside receiver on top of uh, Devontae Adams and Randall Cobb. I think Calvin Ridley or, or Cortland Sutton, one of these guys that really gets vertical, would, would open up the offense a ton. So I – I think Minka Fitzpatrick would, or Derwin James are two guys that they could have a ton of interest in. Um, you know, that they have uh, Josh Jones, who they drafted last year as well, and they kind of play him some of that linebacker slot as well. And, you know, you start mixing and matching and get a lot of talented players. Because they could add a pass rusher as well, maybe a Harold Landry. But, you know, Nick Perry's a pretty good player. Uh, Clay Matthews has had a lot of success in his career. He's getting towards the end, so you could see that as well. But th- this is also, like, people talk about after the top 12, it's kind of a lot of similar stuff. So the, the Packers could trade up in rounds uh, three, two, and and attack a couple positions in need and walk away with three new starters and kind of reload that team. No, that, that's the perfect point there is, you know, they don't need to draft 12 guys. They could end up leaving the draft with six picks or something and being six guys that will immediately impact them. That That's where they need to leverage this this activity. Let's talk about a team that seems to always have a ton of picks this year, not as many as years past, but the New England Patriots do have two late-round, first-round picks. Um, you already mentioned Mason Rudolph as a guy that gets attention to some. What are we looking at with the Patriots here? Because they've been way more talkative about finding the future replacement for Tom Brady. Is that an option for them, or do they have other plans? You would think. Right? I mean, I don't know why they traded Jimmy G. For nothing. A year before, they're like nothing less than two first-round picks, and six months later, they're like, "We'll take a second, yeah. which to me is bad negotiating. But yeah, wait, I know we're not. Me. We're not allowed to question anything the Patriots do. Because um, <laughs> it's the Patriots' way. Yeah, but they do have two, what four top, uh, two picks in each round, right? Yeah. And um, I think you know a guy like McGlinchey to be a new left tackle makes a lot of sense. I think a guy like Leighton Vate. Va- uh, Leighton Vander Esch, uh, a linebacker. They could really use a coverage linebacker. They could use a new corner as well. I mean, they lost Malcolm Butler, right? And um, But I think ultimately that quarterback position has to be addressed in the first mm-hmm. two rounds. The guys they get most connected to are Mason Rudolph and Kyle Laletta. Now, Laletta is just a kind of a, a, a white guy that's accurate, and I think that's why they get connected to him. Um, the interesting ones are... Apparently, they really like Lamar Jackson. I don't know if I believe that, but that could be really interesting to let him sit behind Brady for a year or two until Brady retires and have him take over and really develop him. And the other one is Josh Rosen, apparently. They are talking about packaging up picks to go get Josh Rosen if Rosen falls out of the top five. So Mm -hmm. I think the Patriots, you know, normally they always trade back, but if they really like one of these quarterbacks, they might be the team that comes Mm -hmm. up and gets one. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to, to mention them as one of the teams I, I highlighted here is I this might be the first year where they really go for it, and that's what I'm curious to see what you've been hearing 
Um, the Cleveland Browns, two early first-round picks. We've kind of hinted at them a few other times. They need a lot of things, but they, they, they've improved. I, I shouldn't say that. They did make nice steps last year to being somewhat more competitive, but they're still the Cleveland Browns. And um, what do you see them doing? Because with all the things they need, they can easily keep these picks. They can package things and get more picks. What's on tap for the Browns? You've hinted at a quarterback. So I, I assume they're taking quarterback one. They, they have to. I mean, the Barkley stuff was talked about for a little bit, but I think that's completely gone. I, I In my heart of heart, I've believed for three months that it's Sam Darnold. I, I really don't think they're taking Josh Allen. Now, at four, I would... I wouldn't take Bradley Chubb, but I would completely understand Chubb, trying to pair Chubb with Miles Garrett. I that's where I would want to trade down to the Buffalo Bills for two or for twelve, twenty-two, and maybe a, a second-round pick as well. You know, at twelve, maybe go Mike McGlinchey like we just talked about. All right, so I have my quarterback. Let me go get my uh, left tackle, right? Because I feel comfortable with my quarterback's weapons with uh, Gordon and Coleman and Landry and Njoku. And we just paid Carlos Hyde and Duke Johnson. Let, let me finish off this offensive line and feel like I, you know, I have every piece I need going forward. Yeah. And then let me start loading up on defense. Maybe 22, we go Vita Vea. We just got rid of Danny Shelton. Um, we could use a new interior uh, pass rusher and run stuffer next to Larry Ogunjobi and uh, Miles Garrett, a guy that can kind of eat a lot of double teams, free up space. And then you have all these second round picks where you can just start loading and trying on valuable positions. You know, let me add a corner. Let me add another pass rusher. Let me add a linebacker. Because they're they're and you just kind of start attacking deep positions and you really build your roster. So that's what I would do if I was the Cleveland Brown. Yeah, no, and I like all those takes. There, I'm really not even close to ever being a Browns fan, but they are way more intriguing than they've ever been. With if they do this draft properly, they can make things quite interesting. And you know, you're in a, a division where the Steelers are going to be the Steelers, but they're still getting very old. The the Ravens are getting. Every year I start to wonder how they still manage to do what they're doing. Um, and then you got the Bengals who just they, – they will bangle as long as Marvin Lewis is the head coach. So it's an interesting division. By no means are they winning it this year, but they can make it a little more fun is all I'm saying. I think the Browns are by far the most intriguing team on – like if if I could pick what team I'd want to be a fan of on draft day, it would, it would have to be hands down the Cleveland Browns, right? Because – they have the they have so many picks and they have so many picks in the first three rounds that they're going to get a lot of impact players and they're out of a lot of positions too where they can trade back and continue to get more and more impact players. Yeah, it's very exciting to watch and maybe someday I will own a Browns jersey or something. I don't ever want to say <laughs> that, but it may. You never know. Um, can we just address the fact that they're called the Cleveland Browns and their color is an orange helmet? Like that's how bad they are that they can't even get their logo right. <laughs> I've never understood the whole thing. Why would you want a mascot called the Browns? Like, who thought that was a good idea to begin with? <laughs> no idea. There are a lot uh, better colors too. Like, even if you just wanted a color, Browns yes. like it's. It's just, you could do a lot better. It's a horrible combo all around. It definitely is, and it kind of just sums up the way they play on the field. So yeah, it's just the way it works. Um, you already hinted. You know, they could trade down. The Bills are a team that you thought are going to be really active. You talked about a good trade potential earlier because Josh Allen looks to be falling. There's a lot of scenarios. Do you see any other kind of teams that really want to be active and maybe trade up come draft day? Uh, yes, I think it's going to be nuts. Like I, I think it's going to just be mayhem the whole time. Um, 
I think the Giants could trade back. I think the Browns could trade back. The Broncos could trade back. The Colts are looking to trade back. I think the Dolphins could trade up. The Bills could trade up. The Packers could trade up. The Cardinals could trade up. I could even see the Chargers or Ravens coming up, try to get their quarterback. I could see the Jaguars jumping into the teens and really trying to just add one player to make a Super Bowl run. Uh, I think the Seahawks are the most likely team in the entire draft to trade out of their middle round pick because they don't have a second or third round pick with a lot of holes on their roster. So I I would be surprised if they selected 18. I think the Patriots can move up. I think the Titans could come up and really try to get a pass rusher that one falls. The Saints may try to jump the Falcons for a tight end. The Steelers could come up and try to get a quarterback. You know, the the Colts have a ton of second round picks. Maybe someone falls. Uh, the the Eagles are talked about a team that want to trade back. The only team I'm confident that's not going to trade in round one are the Browns first overall and the Jets third overall. After that, <laughs> I really think everyone could trade. I love it. That that makes it so much more entertaining because. When mayhem happens, A, it's just funny watching the guys on the desk of whatever channel you watch just go, like, scrambling crazy. And you know that, uh, Twitter will go nuts. You know that Vince McMahon gif where he just has all the different crazy faces as things continue to yes. transpire? I feel like that's going to be draft day where every pick you're just like, oh! Yeah, exactly. Wait, what? <laughs> they traded for what? <laughs> and I, oh, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if players get involved, too. Well, that's what I'm looking forward to because we've already seen a pretty active offseason compared to at least what feels like other standards between trades and free agent signings. There's like when fans like aren't glued to their teams, they're going to roster come you know camp, and they're going to be like, what just happened to this team? <laughs> There's so many new pieces. Like you, when you name the Cleveland roster, they've made a ton of moves. They've signed guys. They they're going active, and it's all over football. So it'll make it really entertaining. Um. Oh yeah. A couple last, couple last things before we wrap it up. Give me your top ten in a mock draft. Your personal top ten, not what you think is going to happen. So if I was in control of every team, what I would do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and no trades, I'm assuming. Unless you feel like getting really crazy, but no trades if you, unless you don't want to. Um, to so if if I'm the Browns, I take Baker Mayfield, but I'm not doing any mock draft where Baker Mayfield doesn't go to the Jets. So I'm, I'm putting that disclaimer out there. So if on the Browns, I'm, I would take uh, Sam Darnold. Uh, Giants, I would take Josh Rosen. Jets, I would take Baker Mayfield. Browns, I would take Denzel Ward. Uh, Broncos, I would take Quentin Nelson. Colts, I would take Derwin James. Bucks, I would take Saquon Barkley. Bears, I would take Bradley Chubb. 49ers, I would take uh, Roquan Smith. And Raiders, I would take Harold Landry. I like it. Now, how do you actually see the top ten playing out? Um, Browns, I'll take Sam Darnold. Giants, I'll take Josh Rosen. Jets, I'll take Baker Mayfield. <laughs> Browns, I'll take Bradley Chubb. Oh, shoot. I just realized I'm supposed to give Josh Allen away at some point. Um, <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, he will. Unless I would love, not for him, like personally, I would suck, but the free fall would be amazing because Twitter would blow up. Yeah. I honestly, I think the Browns or Broncos trade out to the Bills and they come up and get Josh Allen. But that's really hard to predict. So I think the I'm without trades, I know I'm not doing great right now, but I'm, I'm just looking at it. But like without trades, it's tough to see three quarter, four quarterbacks going top four, but I think there is a trade. 
So I'm going to I'm going to have to include it. That's for fun. the top 10. So Darnold, Rosen, Baker, then the Bills come up to 4 in that trade I talked about and yep. come get Josh Allen. Then the Broncos are sitting so pretty with every single top position player there. I'm going to say they take Quentin Nelson. Uh, the Colts, I think, would then take Bradley Chubb with the Bucks taking Saquon Barkley. Wow. Um, I think the Bears would then take Denzel Ward. The 49ers. It's a tough spot. Uh, I think the 49ers would come up or would take – I'm going to give him Darwin James, and the Raiders would take Roquan Smith. I like it. I think that would – four quarterbacks out the gate alone, not impossible by any means, would make things really, really entertaining. So I like that quite a bit. Um, entertaining, and it would create chaos with the rest of it because also on a team that's picking eight, you know, they have four elite position players and didn't expect any of them to get, be there, and now all of a sudden they are. Um, yeah. and, it, and it just makes for insanity and teams trying to trade up like crazy and everything. Yeah, it's going to be pure chaos, and I'm looking forward to it. But uh, that'll about wrap it up for us, Elliot. Uh, any final words, Any anything you're working on you want to throw out there to the masses? Uh, I mean, you can follow me on Twitter, at Elliot Christ. I'm, I constantly tweet out my thoughts on the draft. I'll, I'll be on uh, Scott Fish's Bull Rush Shotcast, where you can see my live reactions to picks, and I'll break them down. And, you know, I, I have a <laughs> – the Baker thing, I – I have a bottle of champagne ready. I also have a bottle of Jack Daniels ready for in case they draft Josh Allen. And, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm gonna be on a bunch of podcasts. I'll tweet everything out. I, I still have a couple more episodes of Draft Daily, and you know, just try to keep the content flowing. And then, uh, what are your plans going into the season? You know, you have four for four football and Power Hour DFS. What do you got coming up for them? Um, I have a bunch of off season work coming out for four four soon. And then um, I'll break down the top rookies in their landing spots on 4-4. And then Power Hour, you know, I'm, I'm just in there doing DFS stuff, giving content, having conversations with people, all that stuff. Yeah, it's awesome stuff, everybody. So go check him out if you haven't already. He's on Twitter, like you said, at Elliot Chris. The Draft Daily Pod is great. Uh, they're usually quick, you know, 30 minutes, sometimes an hour, but they're great, great content, breaking down players and other aspects of the draft. And then his work is is great as well. You can find it at 4 from 4 football, our hour DFS. Elliot, man, appreciate it. Thanks for joining me. Always, man. Everybody, this is Bench with Bubba, episode 89, NFL Draft Preview. Catch you guys later.